Welcome to episode 31 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and today I'm back on the couch with my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up, what up? And we've dipped into our bench to pull out Mr. Jamie Lovett for a return to the podcast. For the first time, not star- just talking about Star Trek. We actually have other things to talk about. Even I contain though, uh, multitudes. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie does contain multitudes, which is why he's here today, because we are going to be breaking down some of the big things that are going down in Marvel Comics, specifically, or especially, rather, for the Fantastic Four and X-Men uh, two sets of characters who may or may not be important to a certain movie franchise <laughs> that's uh, been unfolding. We are also going to talk about Disney acquiring Hulu in a big surprise move. We're going to continue to talk about some Star Wars things that are kind of unfolding on that front. And we're going to take a dip into some uh, DC TV to talk about Arrow season finale and the new Batman Hush trailer that dropped one of the most highly or highly acclaimed Batman stories of probably the last 20 years is getting a movie, and we're going to talk about the trailer for that. We will also dip into Game of Thrones because it seems like we can't get away or the world can't get away from Game of Thrones. So we'll be talking about Game of Thrones penultimate episode, the one before the final episode this coming week, and why fans are so pissed right now, rightly or not. So that's a lot to talk about, so why don't we just get to it and begin right at the top. Disney has snatched up Hulu. This was something I walked in the office today, and people were freaking out about that. Mr. Charlie Ridgely was freaking out about that. But, uh, yeah, Disney has now acquired Hulu, which is funny because we were just doing an episode talking about the new Marvel shows coming to Disney and (laughs) Disney kind of building a block of Marvel on Hulu's platform. And now it's just like, nah, Bob Iger was just like, yeah, we're just taking this whole thing. And uh, we listened to the Disney investors meeting today, and it was kind of interesting, but they've kind of grabbed Hulu. They're going to have a controlling – I mean, they had a stake in Hulu, but now Comcast had one. They bought out Comcast for, like, whatever billions of dollars, and now they have the controlling stake in how Hulu will be run and kind of operate. And um, on the one hand, this is kind of, like, freaky because in terms – and Disney has now just basically snatched up TV. This is kind of a backdoor way. I was trying to put on my, like, think like Bob Iger hat and, like – I realized, like, yeah, this is a backdoor way into basically owning TV because Hulu is probably the most proficient about, like, next-day streaming rights for, Mm -hmm. like, TV, and people use that service as a way of actively keeping up TV, uh, more so than, like, Netflix or or Amazon. So now Disney will own, basically, streaming rights and licenses to a lot of the major stuff on TV. On top of Um, owning a network. Yeah. Like, on top of owning Television presented by Disney. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Television presented by Disney. Um, Fox was always the biggest next-day streamer on Hulu for all the major Fox shows. Because they own that state. Yeah, exactly. Disney bought it, yeah. Yeah, now they got that, too. Now I wonder if that was the bigger point of the whole thing. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I mean, the far-reaching kind of implications and impact of this Disney deal is, is even more so. They're like chess moves ahead than most of us were ever thinking. So this is going to be a pretty, pretty interesting thing to see what they do with Hulu. Um, There's talks already about bundles and creating bundles so that you can, like, pay and have one profile over, like, Hulu and Disney Plus and kind of do it that way. forget what others they're trying to bundle. Is it ESPN they're trying to, like... I think it was ESPN. Yeah, they're trying to get in with that. But that's that's a pretty serious deal. Like, yeah, we're standing on the precipice of Disney just basically owning entertainment. Well, this could be, I mean... On one hand, yes, we're heading toward a cyberpunk corporate dystopia. 
Uh, on the other hand, though, if you're more concerned with Marvel stuff, this is good news for like the Save Daredevil crowd. Because yeah. Oh, yeah. The question was always like, Save Daredevil, well, where are you going to put it? There's been no, like, Marvel Television isn't working on anything for Disney+. Plus. That's all Marvel Studios, yeah. which is a separate entity. So now in a couple of years, if they do decide they want to revive those Defender shows, you know, Hulu is going to need more original content as more and more content creators come up with their own equivalent of Disney+. Plus. Uh, or CBS All Access or whatever. Those shows are going to go elsewhere. Yeah, NBC has one coming. So during the investor meeting, Bob Iger talked about firing up those content engines, as he called them, to create more content. And that could be more Defender shows to go with that Ghost Rider show and that Hellstrom show and stuff like that. This could be where all of that stuff lives now. There's a place for it now. That was the biggest part in reviving Young Justice was finding a place for it to live. That's why DC Universe was able to do that. So now Hulu could be that you know, that life raft for those Defender shows. Yeah, and when we talked about the Ghost Rider and Hellstrom shows, that was, like, our big question. Mm -hmm. Is this the first step towards building up the entire Marvel TV brand on Hulu? And now it just seems like that's another step towards yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, after there is a, a deal with Netflix, we should note that, like, two years have to pass mm -hmm. um, between the end of, like, Daredevil, The Punisher, and all that before those characters can make a return. But now we might know a little bit more about why Disney was willing to axe those series like immediately. Like cuz the sooner you get yeah. rid of them, as soon as you get rid of them, the sooner yeah, they're yeah, back. Yeah, the sooner you can yeah. get them back. So, yeah. So, like, sense. yeah. So, all right, man, that's pretty it's going to be pretty wild out. If you haven't had a Hulu subscription, I've been on Team Hulu for like a year and Hulu's a half. It's great, so, man. Yeah, Hulu is great and the interface, I mean, it is the one streaming service I can say that gets me to continuously watch the most. Because their algorithms for predicting like if you're going to watch, what other stuff you should watch and recommending, like it'll throw you right into a TV show when you're done one. Yeah. But it's something like you start watching, you're like, I would check this yeah, out. It's like, typically yeah. related. It's not like you go from Daredevil to a cooking show. And it's yeah, just no. like this, this, there's no correlation here. And that's <laughs> like the strength. It's the next day TV and the fact that they're, their kind of platform and interface is, is really kind of, it's for good to use and fun to use. Futurama lives on Hulu, so it's an essential subscription service for me yeah i mean rick and morty mm -hmm. futurama like we all could, the wwe simpsons shows, smackdown raw are both on there um simpsons comedy central stuff like south park like all of that stuff is on golden hulu. girls golden girls <laughs> golden girls is on hulu all right so this is our stump for saying you better get that hulu subscription ready because you might need it soon uh and yeah netflix might as i have in my show notes night my netflix might be hella screwed by this this is not looking good for netflix i like that you have that in writing yeah <laughs> uh and not in those nice terms all right mm -hmm. moving right along so going from uh disney and marvel and their tv plans to the other side of that which my god even everything we talk about now falls under this umbrella uh -huh. so star wars <laughs> Comic Book Nation presented by <laughs> yeah, Disney. By, yeah, soon. Comic Book Nation presented by Disney, although I, I could take that health plan. I'll, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we got a new, we got on the same investors call with Bob Iger, he kind of let it drop that, uh, I don't know if he really casual? knew that. Yeah, it was a casual <laughs> drop that uh, they're developing. He was talking about what's happening with Star Wars and that they're developing two live action Star Wars series for Disney+. Plus, The Mandalorian with Pedro Pascal in like a... Uh, What's uh, Gina Carano and all those people? Mm -hmm. And then... Werner Herzog. <laughs> and Werner Herzog, which I am so excited for. Um, and, of course, a Rogue One prequel that is centered around... A spy thriller centered around uh, the character of Cassian Andor, who was played by Diego Luna, and his buddy K2SO. Um, they are both... We know they're 
those two series are happening. But Bob Iger kind of let it drop that they're going to be working on a third live-action Disney series, which will arrive before the next movie, uh, because after the rise of Skywalker this holiday season, we're going to be taking basically like a three-year hiatus between movies, which is classic Star Wars, um, three years between movies. Well, usually it's more like... 10. Well, I mean, between but, like trilogies, but like yeah, actual between, movies, yeah. Sure, the yeah. actual three year thing. Um, yeah, and that we'll have a third one. We have no details about what that is. <laughs> uh, he literally just said, Yeah, we're gonna be doing another one before the 2022, so there will be three. Um, but I was kind of breaking down in the article that it's interesting because all of these live action Star Wars series have been, you know, they're not about force users really that we know of initially. They're not about major force users or, or people wielding lightsabers and Jedi. It's both cases are about morally gray characters who, you know, who, who occupy this weird mor- morally gray space in the Star Wars underworld, which is something yeah. like we've all wanted to see. Like the Mandalorian's about a gunfighter, quote unquote, a gunfighter. And it sounds like a Western with a Star Wars, like a spaghetti Western with a Star Wars yeah. Makeover and Cassian Andor is, of course, a spy thriller, espionage thriller with a Star Wars makeover. And, yeah, in both cases, it's these, like, weird, morally gray characters. So I'm kind of interested to see if that's, like, a pattern and what this third series could be. I wonder if it's, like, maybe it's because we were just talking about the Marvel Netflix stuff, but, like, it's very similar in that way. Like, Marvel kept the big hero stuff in the movies and went dark and gritty with those initial Netflix TV shows. So I wonder if that's a similar strategy yeah. with Star Wars. Keep the big lightsaber hero stuff on the on the big screen and do the down and dirty, gritty smuggler stuff on the small screen. And then it all feeds together. I mean, you know, you have a fully developed world if you take both sides yeah. of that, right? And I mean, it's something that people have wanted to see for a long yeah. time. Bounty hunters, gangsters, you know, random gunslingers. We didn't know we wanted spies, but I'm really interested in a spy story. So so what do you want to see in the third one with the other two established as they are? I mean, spy thriller and then... Um, I think out of the original trilogy, out of all the trilogies and all the spinoff films, I think the gangster stuff is the most interesting to me. Like I like Jabba's world, mm-hmm. the stuff, him working with bounty hunters and... And um, even in Solo, I liked the whole thing with, like, what were they, Red Dawn or, like, whatever the hell Paul Bettany's villain group was mm. with in Amelia that Clark kind of being shadowy a, yeah. organization. And I love the Clone Wars Darth Maul stuff with him being on Mandalore and becoming a crime lord. So anything that, ha- that goes, like, full on into the gangster, kind of Star Wars gangster world would be interesting to me. So I think we got, like, a bounty hunter type thing with, like, the Mandalorian. I think we got a spy thing. Let's do, like, a full on crime story like hard-boiled crime story and stuff that'd be interesting do you, do you think it could go the other way like you know they took the mandalorian kind of sounds like they repurposed the idea for the supposed boba fett movie that was going to come out yeah uh what if they did that with like the obi-wan kenobi movie everyone insists they're going to eventually make <coughs> because i mean like he's that. a force user but if you set it during the time he's on tatooine where he's just like he's undercover that could almost be like the ronin samurai kind of thing as a fan of the animated series like yeah i mean i love the rebels episode where darth maul and, and obi-wan finally settle yes, up on tatooine yeah. it's a fantastic a yeah. episode mm-hmm. and like that version of obi-wan is so interesting who is so very powerful, but can like never show that power because he's in height, not only in hiding, but the idea that really trips you out in that episode is, is him having to wait through all these terrible things that are happening 
for, for the hope of something he knows is coming down the road and having to wait and do all that would be a very interesting kind of good dramatic series, especially if they land somebody like Ewan McGregor to come back mm -hmm. as Obi-Wan and just his daily struggles and all, and just expanding that, like Clone Wars, almost like all the fantastic stuff you'll find out he did while in that like 30-year period yeah. that he could never talk about and nobody has any record of and like it's unsung because he was just some dude in a cloak like running around. Yeah, I feel like that would be the perfect way to from a universe perspective and building that universe, showing how like the flashy, shiny, you know, we're doing cartwheels while we're lightsaber saber fighting prequel version of the universe became the industrial, darker, slower moving original trilogy universe. Cause that's the one character that really lived in both. Yeah. And you kind of see how it changed him. And that'd be a great way to show that change through him. Through yeah. those stories. And, and it is. Um, it's something that you do see, like, within the later stories compared to the one. Like, yeah, he was a flipping fool, like, in the prequels. Mm -hmm. And by the end, it's like Obi-Wan's a guy who, who doesn't make a move without some strike, like, having some yeah. kind of yeah. monumental purpose. He went from Duel of the Fates and Phantom Menace to one-shot killing him yeah. in that <laughs> in Clone Rebels. Wars episode. Yeah. Or, sorry, Rebels episode. Yeah, exactly. He's mm -hmm. just like, all right, we can have this fight. And he's like, and Darth Maul's, like, mouthing off and doing all these tricks. And <laughs> Obi-Wan's just, like, standing there calmly and, like, I don't do that yeah. anymore. Yeah, <laughs> We're done. Like one strike, you're done. Like, you know, and that's a like, great arc. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and that's so like I real would, samurai. I yeah. mean, that's real samurai. I would definitely like to see that series. So. Obi-Wan, Disney, if you're listening, we want an Obi-Wan series. All right. Um, yeah, and on the side note, the next movie, we've also confirmed that the next yeah. movie coming in 2022, is, and this is bad or, or good, depending on how this later part of our discussion today goes, is coming from uh, David Benoif and D.B. And D. Weiss, the showrunners of Game of Thrones. So there were two trilogies. Ryan Johnson's trilogy was pitched, and they were working on a trilogy. We now know that the one in 2022, that next movie after Rise of Skywalker, will be their movie. Beyond that, there's no confirmed thing, but we can pretty much assume that 2022, 2024, 2026 movies will probably be there. Their you trilogy. would think. And that's yeah. a bummer to me. Yeah, because, I mean, this now adds more fuel to the rumors that we recently, it's been back and forth all year long that Ryan Johnson's trilogy is dead, and I just recently wrote an article about how the rumors are back from the guy who killed the earlier rumors that it was dead, said, no, this is wrong, and now he's back saying, wait, now it's right. It so. just, mm -hmm. That seems weird to me. Like, if if Ryan Johnson's movies had been starting in 2022, we assume that the Wise and Benioff ones were dead. It's like they can only make them so fast. Well, yeah, the other assumption was that they alternate. It's like 2022 oh, yeah, is one, 2024 is the other, and then 2026 will be one, and then that's just all they've plotted so far. Mm. Um so that was the other assumption. And that still could be true. I mean, we don't yeah. know for sure. I would just hate to yeah. see that. I, I was... want to see Ryan Johnson's, because there is, for all the backlash to Last Jedi, there are uh, there's a sector of the fandom that really loves that movie. That's a very vocal minority. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't... These days, I can't tell the numbers. Honestly, I can't judge anymore. I mean, if I'm taking this social media... If yeah. I'm taking social media as a barometer, social media forms a very small part yeah, of exactly. the entire population. Yeah. So, yeah, it might be loud as hell on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, but that's such a small pool. No. People are rewatching it on Netflix. It's yeah, made, like, like, movie made money that says... Money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, I don't want him to be gone from the franchise. I'm not one of the, and again, I don't agree with all these fanatics saying that. So yep. I hope it's still going. All right, Fair moving time. right along. Arrow. Arrow finished up its season this uh, Monday and it was a big thing. We don't usually, I mean, we, it's not that we don't talk about the DC TV shows. They just haven't given us much to talk about lately. 
nothing monumental, but this was something monumental this week. Arrow finished up its season, and it was an okay season and an okay finale. You know, it's good. I mean, it, I'm glad this show is ending with one more season because, I mean, they're just in full soap opera mode now. Like, Oliver Queen's long-lost sister came back, and then they retconned it to find out she's the one who set into motion everything in Arrow by blowing up the boat because she hated Daddy, and, like, she's the leader of another, yet another secret crime organization. So all that was You can never whatever. have too many secret yeah. crime organizations. Apparently not in Arrow. There's, like... It's you can't. Like, it's like, I don't know, and how many of them are secret? Everybody has one. There's like a Russian one, a League of Assassins. There's like all these other... Hey, man. Do you, do you think that they all just didn't know the other ones existed? Yeah. They were like, there's a need for this. These secret crime That's, organizations don't exist. They're like mattress stores. I'm wondering who's funding, like, who's funding Argus and what they get paid for because they don't seem to know anything about any of these secret organizations. We don't need any more mattresses. But anyway, <laughs> so Arrow ended its season, but it was monumental because it was the last episode of Emily Bett Rickards, who plays Felicity um, Smoke, and they gave her an ending. And I mean, aside from the, it'd be kind of boilerplate Arrow for a season and a season ending, they tried this this two pronged story a little approach. Confusing. Yeah, where it's like in the present and then way in the future. Like in the present, she and Oliver have a baby, and then when that baby's like a, a full grown 20 something young woman, like, Felicity comes back to stop the AI program she made that's taken over the world. I never really, I mean, none of that really fell strongly on me this season. It's just been confusing as hell. Like, and the point of it is is kind of confusing as well. I like the idea of doing the, hey, here's the deal he made reveal, right? That they Yeah, I was going to get to that. And, yeah. like, the thing that really kind of, I mean, aside from the meta scenes of them all crying because they were saying goodbye to Felicity, which was, you know, kind of touching... The big reveal came at the end of the episode of this where basically they set up that Arrow's final season is basically just Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's not like it's independent storyline so far we don't see because Felicity's gone. Like It's kind of hard to maneuver around that, and it just seems like Oliver Queen had to go off with the uh, monitor, and yeah, he appeared, the monitor appears at the end of the episode and is like, because during the last crossover, Earth-X, he made a deal with the Monitor to basically save the day. And you never knew what that was. But it basically comes down to he has to leave right now, even though he's living on this kind of honeymoon period with Felicity and raising his new baby daughter. And you got to go save the universe. And you, by the way, you're, there's no way out of this. You're going to die. And in the future, they make the reveal that, like, yeah, she's with her daughter and, and her kind of adopted son, Oliver's original son, and they're at his grave. So. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to die and sacrifice himself in the crisis, and he has to leave right now. And so next season of Arrow will be kind of setting up the crisis and probably dealing with what happens in Star City when when Oliver is gone yeah. and the rest of them are there, because that's the other thing they did. You don't need me. The whole end of this was, you don't need me anymore. It's all about the team now. That's the greatest thing <laughs> I've done. So. Yeah, and Dark Knight Rises and that. <laughs> yeah, that Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so we're going to see how that all plays out, but... um. Emily Bett Records has been like a big thing in the fandom, and she's really been, I mean, just a fun person to see, both on screen and off screen, even if you don't like the whole Olicity relationship, which I don't, full stop, <laughs> but like... I was waiting for the rest, you're yeah, like, no. nope, just, I don't. But uh, yeah, so we said goodbye to her, and we set up our arrow for like a very kind of, feels already like truncated and not as relevant final season as opposed to how it ties into the larger Crisis crossover, which is like the Avengers endgame of this whole Arrowverse, which I'm kind of 
curious to see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, goodbye to Emily Bett. Do you guys have any thoughts about this? This felt this felt more like a series finale than really? yeah, right? anything, right? But that's what's so weird about it, right? Yeah. It, it does, and then they just have this, like, truncated epilogue story that they're like like here's a whole other season yeah it's like, like we're no. gonna game of thrones and we're gonna come back for a couple episodes this, is and the, like, this, this is was it. the story <laughs> you should yeah, have right? tagged on the end yeah like, the fact done. that felicity is leaving is it's almost like and it's weird because she's not like the main character of the show but it's like a michael scott in the office thing like now i will give them some leeway in that respect because i mean evidently it wasn't like they had been able to plan that like she it seemed anyway like she had surprised yeah, everybody to, yeah. by saying i'm out so at that point, you gotta just do something to wrap things yep. up, right? It, that's not completely their no, no. Fault. They they probably had her on for the last season. Yeah, <laughs> you she know? probably looked at it and was like, "I'm not doing a bunch of side scenes of like yeah. Felicity just waiting for Oliver sitting in the control room, like I'm out." And now I'm out in that writers' room. I would like to see their faces. Yeah, they like, like what? <laughs> Uh, get the get the blackboard out. As the coffee starts dribbling out of somebody's <laughs> mouth, like. Uh. So yeah, but it, absolutely, this felt kind of like <laughs> it almost felt like, oh okay, good, I'm I'm all right. Like that's yeah, the end of the of, series. That was a lot of crying for a non-series finale, right? <laughs> like yeah. So, all right, we're gonna see how they try to wrap this one up because I, I, I mean I'm just scared Arrow didn't die a hero and now it's just gonna live long enough to see itself. Like I mean it already became a villain, but really become the villain and kind of that's how you're going with that. But, all right, we'll see. Uh, last but not least, we're just going to say a shout-out. The new trailer for Batman Hush has dropped, the animated uh, movie based on the Hush storyline, which is one of the most famous storylines. Uh, and I love DC Animation. I love their future films. But uh, I'm not sure that I'm sold on this one yet. I'm kind of getting a little nervous because recently, like, I mean, DC Universe's animation has just continuously gone back to the well of... Batman and Superman. I mean, if you've ever heard Bruce did an interview with like Bruce Tim, you see him just like light up a cigarette and look off into the distance and be like, I do what they let me, and it's always Batman. And like, yeah, I mean, so <laughs> pull that out and to really kind of make the money they've they've been dipping into the biggest Batman storylines. And it's a mixed bag. You get things like uh Year One and The Dark Knight Returns, which are pretty pretty good adaptations, like very solid and good films in their own right. Yeah. Um, except I didn't like The Dark Knight Returns Part Two, but that's a whole other thing, and it has a lot to do with the '80s stuff that didn't apply anymore. But like, yeah, it's, like it's dated. But uh, no, Year One was great. But you then also get things like The Killing Joke. Yes. Which, yeah, I yeah. mean. DC, that's a, the biggest black mark on DC Universe animation, like, thus far. Just a total misfire. That is one thing I'll be interested to see with Hush, because with The Killing Joke, they really went off the grid, but it was all of all this additive stuff. That yeah, they, they, had, to add, they yeah. had to pad it to make it a movie. Because it's not a movie-linked no. story. Yeah, they ended up making just two movies that don't at all fit <laughs> yeah, together. It's like you made a separate movie that yeah. no one wanted. Um and with this, I'll be interested to see how closely they stick. Because there's enough material here to last a movie length. Yeah, and we already are seeing the beginnings that like there are going to be some significant changes to yeah. how they approach the story. The whole beginning with Batman and Catwoman and Hush kind of taking him out there is different than like the robbery heist thing with Killer Croc, the kidnapping scheme that yeah. starts in the comics and then leads to the I did like the cut line injured. was there. Yeah. Like that part's cool. And I just don't... Uh, I feel like... I wish they weren't doing it in that house style that they've 
Thank you. come to adapt. Like the best part of Hush was Jim Lee's artwork. Yes. So if you're not going to try to put Jim Lee's artwork into the animation style, I'm not sure what the point of it is. That story, like, I think Hush is, it's fine. It's a little overrated, I think. It's like a story that's 90% red herring. Uh, mm-hmm. You get to the end of it and find out most of what you just read was actually not what happened. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it, it, if you were to bring Jim Lee's artwork into that animation style, I'd watch it anyway because it's story or not, it's beautiful to look at. But if you're just going to do it in that house style, then I'm not really sure what you're hanging your hat on here. I know also understand. like a pretty deep, like woven story in terms of character arcs mm-hmm. and depth and how it moves through time. And like, yeah, and there's a lot of slow development that leads up to big reveals and like culmination. But like, yeah, there's way more than you could do in just like a hour and a half yeah. movie. Or They're taken in a weird movies. direction. Like the fun, the reason why Hush is popular is because like most of Jeff Loeb's Batman stories, it features like the entire rogues gallery. It's just Batman going through the gauntlet. It's fun, even if it's not like doesn't hold up when you reread it. Um, but it seems like they're going the other direction and trying to like make it more of a mystery. And that's the thing. Instead of playing up the action. I mean, everybody kind of knows the story of hush, but like the thing about hush that I think works in the books a little bit better that doesn't work on the page is how it's set up is, is the central mystery of, it's one of those things. Like if you watch enough mysteries, you're always clued into the fact that if you were watching a mystery story, that happens to also introduce a new character <laughs> never before seen in a series yeah. like that's your guy, you know. And oh, Hush, a new an old friend of Bruce Wayne's come back to town at the same time a new Batman villain appears. Yeah, I exactly. wonder. And in the comics, even though it's like pretty obvious in the comics itself, like they still get away with it because there's a legitimate reason for Thomas Elliot to be called in mm-hmm. because Bruce Wayne actually needs him yeah. like to save his life. And then and it, and it becomes a, a kind of interesting side story about who Bruce Wayne really is, fleshing out that character through this other character, and it makes it seem like this guy could be like a recurring new supporting character before the big turns happen. And they also played on the Jason Todd stuff because yeah. at that point in time, he hadn't come back yet, so you were able to play on that. It's that now, red herring I was talking. Yeah, about. now I mean, no, it's long enough. Hush, yeah, yeah, good. That's long enough to talk about spoilers, but uh, like now. He's been around for years now. He's been back. Some of that is gone. Because I remember reading that those issues week to week, or sorry, month to month, month, to month and being yeah. like, like, you know, is it Jason? Are they going to do it? Like, is it not? And like, that was a big part of it. And now some of that specialness is gone. I agree with Jamie. I think for Public Enemies and oh, the Michael Turner one, I always forget what the name of that series uh, Apocalypse? is Apocalypse? Yeah. Yeah. Those animation styles mimicked mm-hmm. the yeah, art. And that that's what great. made, you know, those come to life. And this one, I came away with it from the last couple of DC animated projects and been like, this looks... Well, they just streamlined it into the Ugh. same house animation style. One, I mean, they went for the shared universe thing where everything's connected just and it's just shared. Batman I mean, and then Justice League and Batman yeah. and Justice League. Sometimes and, that's fine. Like the the uh, the Death of Superman, Reign of the Superman one, I yeah. thought was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And that was too. fine with the house style, but... You know, this one's so when the draw of the story is the art, it becomes a problem. You're talking about bright, vibrant art, and this is just kind of a dark tone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm not sure this one's going to work. I'm not going to hate on it because I love DC Universe, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to really be, it's going to work, though. So, 
All right. On that happy note, stay tuned because when we come back, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones penultimate episode and all the big reactions to it. And we're going to talk about some big things happening in comics, including with those little characters, the Fantastic Four and X-Men. So be sure to be here for that. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, so Game of Thrones, episode five. We're not going to go into this too much because I want to let Matt have time to break down these comics. I'm actually us, very but, excited uh, for to hear this, by the way, because I've heard <laughs> so much about this episode. I'm actually very excited so, to hear you two talk. This is a full spoilers talk for Game of Thrones, uh, season eight, episode five, The Bells, which basically saw the battle uh, between the Army of the North and Daenerys Targaryen uh, and Cersei Lannister and the Lannister forces in King's Landing. Um and basically the big controversy of this episode is this major turn that comes with Daenerys uh, in which Cersei's been using the inner walls of King's Landing and the Red Keep as a basically a human hostage farm where she's letting people in under the guise of being this benevolent ruler who's going to protect them from the crazy dragon queen who's invading. <coughs> and basically... Daenerys comes in with her, her army and her dragons, and it looks like we're in for this major battle sequence and another back and forth, who has the advantage thing, but no. Like, Daenerys and her forces, like, slaughter, like, Cersei's navy. Um, there's this hilarious scene with one of the uh, cell sword, these, you know, these mercenary companies called the Golden Company, who line up in this big, ostentatious you know, formation out front of the city with their leader riding on a horseback, and they just get all wiped out by dragon fire in like <laughs> three seconds. They have all these new weapons called scorpions, these dragon-killing harpoons that they surprise attacked and killed one of the dragons with. They all get, Daenerys is like, nope, I've learned about all this since you killed one of my dragons, and she just wipes out all their defenses. And there's a pause in the middle of the episode where the Lannister, the, bag, the Lannister forces are kind of ready to surrender. These guys don't want to fight anymore. And they're all, and there's this face off on the ground with the soldiers on the ground and the dragons up, parched up. And, you know, Cersei Lannister's watching from her, like, little stronghold in the Red Keep. And it looks for a minute like Daenerys can, like, surrender or just end the fighting and make a peaceful end to this whole thing. And she's like, nah, F it. And she jumps on that dragon and she just starts lighting up this whole city. And she just burns down the city. She burns men, women, children, just like everything. And it's pretty. And it was a. Uh, Miguel Sap, I always butcher his last name, Sapachik or whatever it is, one of the biggest kind of regular Game of Thrones battle directors. And, like, yeah, it was pretty intense. Like, it was just a lot of it was shot from the perspective of the, of the good guys who were fighting in her army on the ground as they are trying to run through the city and just, like, f make their way through this chaos to different objectives. And 
just watching all this fire fill up, all these people being burned alive or slaughtered or raped and like by the soldiers. And like, it just became a full bloodlust, uh, like explosion of bloodlust that like Jon Snow was horrified by and the viewers were horrified by. And it, and it made Daenerys look like she had transformed into her father, who was called the Mad King, specifically because his whole dream before he got killed was to burn down King's Landing and everybody mm-hmm. in it. And so she accomplishes that goal. And man, people are losing their minds about this episode, about everything from what it does to Daenerys to how the Lannisters, Jamie and Cersei, came to an end, like hugging in a crypt that's falling on their head. And yeah, man, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be so much. There is a lot of. I mean, there's like, so much. There's, there's so, so much, much to unpack animosity. in this episode. Yeah. And th- that's the thing, like, that's my biggest takeaway from this is people should remember that. You know, entertainment stories, they're not always all good or all bad. Uh, there are very mixed things in this episode. Like, did Daenerys, was Daenerys's turn executed poorly? I think so. I think it was rushed. Uh, I think the direction she was going in and taking in, if you look back, yeah, they set that up. And yes, it makes sense at a certain point for her to go in that direction. But I feel like they tried to do a season's worth of work in an episode and a half. And that's why everybody feels like, uh, so like it didn't work, like it wasn't earned exactly. Uh, but yeah, like to me, Game of Thrones has always been Game of Thrones to me is to like Lord of the Rings. What like Watchmen is to superhero comics. It takes all those power fantasies and stuff you have and shows you the gritty, brutal reality. So the idea of, you know, a magic princess riding on a dragon to save the day and then burning your city to the ground is 100% what Game of Thrones does. That all makes sense to me. It's the character beats got squashed in the show's like full sprint to its ending. And that is frustrating. It's complicated. It's complex. I think the, the, the themes check out in the direction they're going, but yeah, the characters all kind of got lost in the shuffle and the supporting characters, especially like, Arya ending up, you know, goes all the way to King's Landing just to, for, you know, the hound to tell her to go home and then is just a point of view character so we can watch the city burn feels kind of like a waste of a character that's been built up for so many years to be such a great character. It's, yeah, like we've talked about this in the office a lot. It felt like a lot of the characters had their agency taken from them, like Jamie Lannister. You know, I'm fine with Jamie and Cersei dying in each other's arms, but I feel like Jamie should have had a more definitive choice about where he stands in relation to Cersei before that, uh, instead of just, well, we happen to be here while the city's falling, so I guess we're all going to die. You know, it just feels like the the points weren't put on the those character moments, so to speak. I'm kind of on the opposite end, and I, we'll just get here because we could be debating this for the rest of the show. But so uh, interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting when people go back and have the chance to sit down and watch Game of Thrones uh, season six, seven, and eight, like in one block. I think a lot of the problem with this season is it feels rushed because I think there's a lot of subtle and detailed memory that's been lost because the huge gap between season seven and eight. That's a good point. Um, Because I was watching some of them to prepare for season eight. And once you get back to season like six, when you start to move into Danny coming to Westeros and leaving that old storyline across the narrow sea and everything that happens from that point on, uh, Danny coming in, the Battle of the Bastards, like all this stuff that happens. I think we'll see a lot more of the DNA and seeding to building yeah. up to what happens now because 
I think, and I'm going to write a little bit about more about this. I think Danny so is much writing. Yeah, <laughs> so Danny's basically like this queen who came, who was a white savior, and like we were talking about before, in a foreign land. Then she comes home to this place where she thinks people should naturally embrace her, not just because of who she is, which is their rightful queen, but because you know. She's like the highest of white people, uh, you know, the Targaryens. Yeah. Um, but because of what she's done and and this legend of her, you know, the dragon queen, the breaker of and chains, that, that all that stuff. That kind of makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, that's and, monarchy. And monarchy I think, is bad. No, and I think as you watch the last couple of seasons, uh, Amelia Clark in, like, her and Daenerys does a very good job of subtly kind of observing the whole time the politics of Westeros every time she's in a room how people don't flock to her. And I think, like, that party episode, I think, is going to become more important as, like, we go. Like, both of the slower episodes of this season are very yeah. important. Like, the one before the Battle of Winterfell and the one afterwards, because that's where a lot of the most subtle character work is done about how she's feeling and being alienated in this yes. place and slowly realizing that beyond this need to even fight the dead, which they don't even respect her for that, mm -hmm. because uh, what's her name, Sandri or whatever her name was, was yeah. in the crypt and having to defend... You know, Daenerys against Sansa in the middle of the battle against the White Walkers and like all of that begins to affect her. And I think the moment when she turns is actually just her being like, it's, it's a big moment of realization that like, yeah, none of this stuff that she hoped that she's dreamed of all the, her life coming home and having this easy reclamation of the throne and being embraced as a savior mm -hmm. is going to happen in that basically... King's Landing, and, and as an example of Westeros itself, has been kind of rat-screwed by all of these horrible people and mm -hmm. their rulers and stuff, and it's just literally like, they're never going to respect me. I have to do something that's going to earn my rep right yes. here and now, and this is it. I look forward. I you're talking about just rewatching yeah. these late seasons. I can't wait to go back and rewatch the whole thing, specifically looking at her arc because I feel like people have warned, like her advisors have warned her that this would happen when she went to Westeros. Yeah, and I really look forward to going back and examining her reactions when they try to tell her that, uh, because yeah, cast the whole thing in a new new light, knowing where it's going. Yeah, and this is one of those things. I will say that, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure if we had more time to read the books. Mm -hmm. and which are focused on people's internal monologues and from the viewpoint of individual characters, like this will make a lot more sense. Yeah. Like there will be a lot more just brush strokes of I'm here and nuance. this is wrong. I'm here, but this is wrong. And like yeah. kind of building up to her like freaking out and, yeah. and doing that. So I don't know. I think, I mean, I'm saying all this and I'm defending it and I am an apologist for episode five, but I'm setting myself up because I could be, completely beheaded by episode six if they don't stick this landing. So you enjoyed it then? As I a did. Whole, as a, oops, sorry. I did. And if I come out, and, but if they come out in episode six and there's already like big kind of Star Wars parallel scenes of her standing in front of a huge army looking like an emperor and if she comes out and's like, I'm the mad queen, like I'm going to have no defense. Anyway. <laughs> let, me, like, let me say that I thought the episode was flawed. I think it was the like visuals and the production of it was fantastic. It was just, they did not nail the landing with, with Danny's turn for me. And that was such a big part of it that it, it hurt it a lot. Yeah. So let us know what you think. I mean, this is one of the biggest debates in pop culture, entertainment culture right now. I mean, it's not ending. So let us know. Mad queen. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Hashtag comic book nation, but we are going to finish the show today by doing what our kind of company name suggests. And we're <laughs> going to talk about some comics. Uh, so Matt has a breakdown of comics, and yeah, we're going to start. And Jamie also has some insight yeah, because uh, Jamie got to sit down with 
upcoming X-Men universe architect, Jonathan Hickman, who wrote some little books called <laughs> Infinity, which was like the basis for Infinity War, mm -hmm. and Secret Wars, which could be the basis for something coming up in the MCU in the uh, next 10 to 15 years. So Hickman's going to be relaunching and redoing basically just a revamp on X-Men. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, basically in July, all of the X-Men books that are going on right now are going to come to an end. Uh, Hickman's going to introduce two new um, miniseries called House of X and Powers of Ten, uh, and they're going to run until... Oh, there's September. Powers of Ten? It's Powers of Ten. It's written with an X, but it's they have said it's pronounced Hox Ten. Hoxpox is, yeah, the, the abbreviations are fun. But yeah, those two <laughs> miniseries will run through September. Uh, they are going to to delve into kind of the world and mythology and set it up the way he wants it. And then sometime in the fall, I think September, they're going to launch a new X-Men line all in Hickman's vision. He's going to write the flagship book, uh, which we don't know the title of yet. And there will be some other books along with it. But this is being billed as and very much feels like the first really big historic moment for the X-Men since, like, Grant Morrison did New X-Men in the early 2000s. Yeah, which was the first big one since, like, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont did the yeah, Blue since and Gold the remake yeah. in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and which isn't to say there haven't been good <laughs> X-Men comics since then. And they've tried to do this sort of thing, too, in the past, and it never quite it's just, works out. <laughs> he touched on something in the interview that I think a lot of X-Men fans have felt where so many of the recent X-Men comics, X-Men comics since... Uh, what Morrison did in the 2000s have all been on this kind of feedback loop where they're all X-Men comics about other X-Men comics. X-Men Gold was such a uh, Chris Claremont pastiche. Uh, even Joss Whedon and John Cassidy's Astonishing, which I adore, yeah, was very much... Let's, and, uh, issues of that were great. Yeah, uh, the whole thing I love, but it is very much let's keep doing... Let's continue from where Morrison left off, but bring back some of that Claremont superhero flair. It's all... Uh, reverential and referential. And so Hickman wants to come in here and uh, with a new vision to redefine things and not necessarily be so referential. And in order to do that, he said, well, we need to kind of clear house. We can't have the ambiguity about what the X-Men are about right now. Is it this old thing? Is this this new thing? So we've got a hard stop in July and everything starts new and it's going to be you know, probably the biggest thing happening for Marvel, if not in superhero comics that month. Uh, so if you're looking to jump in, that'd be the time. And they're going to announce those new books the week before the first issue of the miniseries comes out, which should be around Comic-Con. So as we said, Hickman had a big influence on doing like the Infinity crossover series that yep. was a basis for Infinity War. He's doing X-Men. He also did a major overhaul of making the Fantastic Four relevant again. Mm -hmm. In your estimation, Jamie, how much of this is going to factor into Marvel Studios and what they're planning for these Fantastic Four and X-Men franchises? I mean, it's it's hard to tell because you don't know, we don't really know how far ahead they've already planned, right? Uh, if they're going to do Fantastic Four, I'd expect some of Hickman's stuff to fall into that because it's very high concept stuff that can be uh, translated into action movies pretty well, even though it's very sci-fi heavy. Uh, he brings in great characters, you know, he co-created the Black Order, which are great characters that ended up coming into the movies. Uh, so if, you know, if you're a speculator or just somebody who is really interested to see where the MCU might go, I would definitely keep an eye on his his run. Uh, I would go back and read those Fantastic Four comics too. 
Um, but yeah. Like, let me ask you, do you think these things happen still in a separated bubble? Like, we're Marvel Comics, we're over here, and Marvel Studios is like over here. Or do you think, because it, it seems to me like more and more there's synergy between the two. Like, I don't know. I feel like it might honestly be the opposite direction now ever since Marvel Studios kind of broke off. Because now Marvel Studios just, you know, reports directly to, uh, who is it, Alan Horn at, at Disney, Walt yeah. Disney Pictures. Uh, they, they used to have to go through Marvel proper, and now they don't. Or at least get reviewed by Marvel proper all this stuff. Which I think works to their benefit, honestly. They I, would certainly say that. I, I think it works because the comics can just do these outlandish concepts. And they. I feel like it would work the other way around. Like I feel like new creative teams that come in are cognizant of the movies from a strictly sales perspective. They know if they tie it more, like make the characters a little more like their cinematic brethren, or if they make certain elements and stories kind of more like the movies, they'll get more crossover sales. But as far as like creativity of stories, I don't think, I think I want them to go and do these outlandish, ridiculous things that then the movies can know later and go, well, let's cherry pick, right? Because that's what these movies have done. They've all cherry picked from stories. Um, I think they're, I think they're more separate than anything, but I'm okay with this. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Marvel Studios is keeping an eye, obviously, on what Marvel Comics is doing to latch on to any cool ideas, cool characters that come out and see how they can integrate them. But I don't, uh, I'd be surprised if I found out that they were basically orchestrating things so that the comics would be like a prelude or a blueprint directly for the movies. Frankly, I think Kevin Feige is confident enough in his own abilities that he wouldn't feel the need for that at this point anyway. Okay. Well, there you have it. We're going to end this episode by having Matt take us through a little flash breakdown of some other things happening in comics this week. Matty, what do we got? Just a quickie here. So, uh, and this is full spoilers, by the way. So this is for today's books when you're listening to this. So if you haven't read. There is no today on this podcast. <laughs> We're tomorrow. This is just timeless. Well, that's true. You're very timeless. But don't. Read the books for yeah. <laughs> more years. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number five. Uh, if you were sad that Thanos was gone, uh, he's not gone anymore. He's back, kind of. In so <laughs> he, uh, his consciousness essentially goes into his uh, to Eros, and then they transfer that to a body that Hela remade. So like. Thanos gets a body that's almost like his, and his eyes open up at the Would end. Be like the Palpatine of this whole thing. It's a very, uh, it's a very one of the coolest parts of this book, though. It's actually not that. That's like at the very tail end. But one of the coolest parts is actually Hela. Just if you love the segment in Ragnarok where Hela just laid waste to like all the Asgardians and their armies, you'll love this because she absolutely pones Gladiator, <laughs> uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider, and like all these just putty in her hands it's actually really it's a really pimp sequence uh amazing spider-man number 21 which is the next part in the hunted storyline uh we learned we learned something kind of messed up here that essentially that kurt connors when he was losing control of himself as the lizard kind of lost control and like attacked his son and killed like just about killed his son and then because comics they were someone was able to transfer the mind into another cloned kid body and so sensing a theme he doesn't know where that kid came from but you're not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth right but the kid now remembers what his dad did to him and like biting his like it's it's kind of it's kind of messed up they're, they're dealing with some interesting stuff here it's actually been a pretty good craven storyline so far if we're not careful by the end of this issue though it does kind of go into some wonky craven 
I'm setting you up to be like, I'm your best friend because I want you to be the best hero you can be stuff. I, I hope they kind of sidestep that because Craven storylines yeah. tend to deal uh, with that, that a lot. Bad. So I'm not, I'm not a fan of that part, but this was interesting. Uh, also, Aquaman number 48 uh, has some pretty big revelations, essentially, uh, since Drowned Earth. Aquaman's been dead, and he's just now, like, someone told him, finally, which is really nice of people to clue you in that you're dead. Um, so it's kind of neat, because there's a, he essentially has a choice to make, whether you, he can go back to his life with the memories he has left, or he can go and try and reclaim the rest of them, but he risks going crazy as he does it. So it's like this, it's a, they've set up, the last few issues have set up this really kind of crazy uh, mythological old gods thing, and now we're tying some of that into this, and it's like Mother Shark, which is kind of like a take on Mother Nature, but it's like the oceans and stuff. It's surreal, but it really works when you read it like together. It's like, some, it sounds crazy when I'm talking about it, but it works when you're reading it all together. I really don't so believe like, you, what's next? Uh, <laughs> it does though. Uh, so yeah, Batman number 71, uh, Batman's cray cray at the moment, or he's being made to feel that way, and so he punches Tim Drake, which is just rude. And now he can go on a quest for the memories of punching Tim Drake, or just recreate the the slapping Robin panel. No, movie. I oh my god, I wish the they had. Uh, I wish they had. Uh, we also have Justice League number twenty four, uh, which goes through. We actually get to meet like this Legion of Doom that is actually the heroes of the universe, and it's like if the Legion of Doom were Star Jammers. So. It's like Sinestro's the captain, and he's in these like ragtag groups. Darkseid pilots the plane, but his eyes have been removed so that he can't shoot Omega Beams and stuff, which I don't, I can't figure out how he flies the plane because of that, but it's still a really cool visual. Uh, it's, it's actually really interesting. This is dense. This Justice League run by Snyder has been really dense, but there's some really good stuff in here. So if you don't mind kind of, Having to really you mean Scott down. Snyder? We should clear that up. Yeah. What did yeah. I say? Who did I say? You just said Snyder. Oh, gonna, sorry, gonna, Scott Snyder. I apologize. Yeah, you're gonna flip um, people out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's it's really dense, but it's been rewarding. Uh, last but not least is Go Go Power Rangers number twenty. You know, I had to sneak that in there. Uh, essentially, Alpha One, the original Alpha, returns and essentially says Zordon's way, his ideals are not. They've he's proven them false that you know being this peaceful it's very much the Xavier dream type of thing this dream doesn't work he's essentially playing the Magneto to yeah I was about to say who's this guy Magneto uh, and he comes around he's like no I'm showing you why and at the end we get this really cool cliffhanger of Alpha One becoming like this giant Megazord looking thing and it's awesome looking it's a, it's a cool visual issue but it's really interesting to see like this crazy Power Rangers universe really deal with these topics, and that's all in go-go. So, there you go. All right, that's what's coming to Comic Stands this week. And with that, that'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. If you want to join the ride, you can always find new episodes posted on comicbook.com every Wednesday and Friday. In those articles, you can also find an RSS feed where you can regularly subscribe to uh, the show. And we have some improvements coming that'll make it even easier for you to go on the site and hear everything that we're doing, Lickety Split. So stay tuned for that. You can also find us on the various platforms, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio. And you can even tell any Amazon Alexa device, play Comic Book Nation podcast. You got to say all three words and Alexa will fire it up for you. So you can always do it that way. If you like the show, you can leave us a review. We're looking for more reviews. We've done a lot of iTunes, but we're looking for reviews on Spotify and Stitcher and all these other platforms. 
And if you leave us a good five-star review, we will read some on the show. Every couple weeks we read them on the show. And if we read yours, we send you some comic book swag. So be sure to do that. If you want to continue any of these discussions, you can do so on social media at the hashtag ComicBookNation. Or you can contact us individually. You can find me, Kofi Outlaw, at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. Find me at Jamie Lovett. All right, that'll do it for us. We'll see you guys next episode. This is Comic Book Nation. We're out. Deuces. Deuces.